couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that when I was a new pastor here back in 1996, I was walking through this space on a weekday with our then chair of the board. The chair, Bill Pranky, turned to me, looked me in the eye, and said, as a church, we're dying a slow death. We may not be able to survive here in the city. A couple of weeks later, I found myself sitting in my car with my mentor, Leighton Ford, the brother-in-law to the late Billy Graham, feeling discouraged about our prospects, desperate for some encouragement, but too embarrassed to ask for that. And so instead, I turned to Leighton and said, could you give me some counsel? That sounds better, right? And as some of you know, Leighton paused, he crossed his long legs, and then he turned to me and said, Ken, remember that God is an artist. He will not lead you to copy anyone else. So seek God for a unique vision for this place. Well, I took those words to heart, began to seek God in prayer, called on others to do the same. And one time during prayer, I sensed the Spirit saying very clearly, and this didn't come from me, but from the Spirit, because I wouldn't have thought it in, in these phrases. If you will bless those who cannot repay you, I will bless you, meaning as a church. Two weeks ago, we began this series around our vision. And I mentioned that as a new pastor, when someone would approach me and say, hey, Ken, what is the vision of the church? I found myself spontaneously responding and saying our vision is simply to be a place where people of all different backgrounds can discover Christ, to be a community of healing for the broken, a place of spiritual transformation. And we covered those two themes in the last two weeks. And as we conclude our series on vision today, we're going to explore how God has called us to be a community bringing Christ's compassion and justice to our world. Two weeks ago when we began the series, I said that from Adam and Eve forward to us, we human beings have been called to live like angled mirrors, reflecting God's light back to God, but also to the world around us. What does that look like? As you get your attention through that drop, whatever, was that a canteen? <laughs> reflecting God's light means that we reflect God's love and justice to those around us. What does love mean in Scripture? Love, according to God, is more than a feeling. But it, it involves committing ourselves to serve the best interest of another person. To care for them as we would want to be cared for ourselves. What is justice according to Scripture? Justice according to Scripture means giving people what is due to them. Sometimes our 14-year-old son says, give him justice! <laughs> if he's learned about someone who's done something really bad. So that's his idea of justice. And it's not completely unbiblical either because when a person commits a crime, sometimes justice means that they face some kind of punishment. But the Bible often speaks about justice 
in terms of giving a person their due as their due protection, their due respect, their due care. In modern language, we use the term human rights, their due rights. Last week, I was speaking at a Christian college in Alberta named Prairie College, formerly Prairie Bible Institute. And before speaking, the president wants to know how I want to be introduced. And when people ask me, how do you want to be introduced before you speak? I typically say, well, you can mention that I am pastor at Kenth Church in Vancouver. I mean, I have a number of roles, including as a father, husband, but my primary role in public in the community is serving as pastor of 10th Church. Now, when God wants to be introduced in his, quote, public role, how does God choose to be introduced? According to Psalm 68, God says, I am a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. So when we reflect God's love and justice to those without a father or mother, whom the Bible calls orphans, or to the widow, or to the refugee among us, whom the Bible calls the foreigner, or those living in poverty, we reflect God's light in a way that is especially close to the way God identifies himself in public, in a way that's especially reflective of his character. And when we serve and love those who are in a difficult, vulnerable place, Scripture tells us that God blesses us. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, we read God saying to his people, bring all the tithes of that year's produce, that is the first tenth, and store it in your towns and the foreigners and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and fill their stomachs and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. God says you bless those who are in need. That's doing something especially close to my heart and I shall bless you. Now, when God said to me, and I was surprised at these words in my spirit, if you will bless those who cannot repay you as a church, I will bless you. It was crystal clear, but I had no idea what that would look like in terms of our actual community life. And then as some of you know, not long thereafter, a young man named Robert begins sleeping outside of our church building. He's homeless. One of our elders at the time takes Robert and brings him to his home and says, Robert, I've got this laneway house. If you're not from Vancouver, you may not know that housing tends to be very expensive in our city. And so people will convert at times their garage into a home, a furnished home. So this elder, this director of our church says, look, Robert, I've got this furnished laneway house. You don't have a home. You can live in my home for as long as you want the rest of your life without any charge. Robert stayed in his laneway home for a night or two, but he kept wandering back to the church, preferring to sleep just beyond these walls. And then on a cold February morning, we noticed that Robert was lying really still, that he was actually cold to the touch. And when we shook him, 
He did not respond. Robert had succumbed to the elements. He had died in the cold. We were stunned and shocked. And I said, we're going to open up our church building for the homeless on the cold nights of the winter. This is going to become a literal shelter for them. So under the leadership of my then colleague, Don Cowie, we began a ministry called Out of the Cold. This ministry has grown across the years. When we began it, we typically opened up our building about once a week for the homeless or on the coldest nights of the year. And this coming winter, we're planning to open up our building as a shelter for the homeless every night of the winter. This ministry has also evolved across the years in other ways. Not long after beginning our shelter ministry here, a layperson named Audrey Wharton, who's not with the Lord, said, I want to begin a ministry called Oasis Cafe. I want to serve meals to the hungry. And Oasis Cafe and her sister ministry, Kits Cares Cafe, which was launched by us and other churches on the west side of our city, over a recent 12-month period, served 12,500 meals or grocery hampers to people, many of whom are homeless or un- or underemployed. Across the years, we've also developed partnerships with ministries like Just Works, Just Potters, Just Catering, to offer training for sustainable employment for people who are wanting to get off the streets, who are wanting to work in some way. I'm really grateful. I see some of you, like Carlos and Bing, who've been involved in these ministries, others of you. It's been a doorway, I think, to the very life of God. For people who know something about our history here at 10th, they'll ask me at times, how did 10th experience a kind of turnaround? I don't know the full answer to that question, but I believe that part of the answer is that when God called us to bless those who could not tangibly repay us, we sought to do that. Not perfectly, but we sought to do it. And as we did that, it was like the Spirit of God was poured out among us in a fuller, fresher way. And we saw people from all different backgrounds, not just the materially poor, but people from all backgrounds. Some people very successful in worldly terms, coming to know Christ. And the CBC paid us a visit. And they said, 10th Church has become a resting place for people from all walks of life. Just over 10 years ago, we also felt that God was inviting us to open up our doors to vulnerable children. We began a drop-in ministry, an after-school drop-in program called LiveWire. Many of the kids who came were part of families that were low-income and challenged in other ways. One of the kids that came through was named and is still named Aldrin. And Aldrin went on to become our youth director, our youth pastor at our East Van site. About 15 years ago, as some of you know, we felt God calling us to develop ministry partnerships in Cambodia. And one of those partners is Alongsiders. You'll be hearing more about them later this fall as Craig Greenfield, its leader, speaks to us. 
alongsiders, as some of you would know, raises up older, quote, brothers and sisters for children who don't have a mom or dad, who don't have an adult in their life. And across the years, it's been our privilege to give literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to alongsiders, enabling them to build what has become the first Christian camp in the history of the nation of Cambodia. Shaping life. Some of you were impacted by camp ministry yourself. Now kids in Cambodia can experience something similar. We feel God's call to us to serve as a community of compassion and justice also is an invitation to seek truth and reconciliation in relationship to our indigenous hosts, as Sharon has mentioned earlier. Over the pandemic, my colleagues and I became acquainted with an indigenous woman named Carrie Clausen from the Ojibwe peoples. In subsequent conversations, Carrie has shared more of her story and has given me permission to share part of it with you. Carrie explained to me that she was one of those, quote, 60s scoop kids, meaning that after she was born, she was scooped up by the government and eventually placed into an adoptive Caucasian home here in Metro Vancouver. It was painful for her to be separated from her family of origin, but she's also grateful for a loving Christian family that, that raised her. Carrie told me, when I was in my 20s, I wanted to meet my birth mother for the first time. And so with the financial and emotional support of my adoptive family, I ventured off to Ontario. And when I met my mom, I learned something surprising. Carrie told me, I always thought, I'd always been told, that the reason why I was given up for adoption in the first place was because my mom was a teenager and my father was a Caucasian teenager and they had a summer fling and they just were not in a place to raise me. But when I met my mom, my biological mom, she told me the truth. She told me that I was conceived as a result of an act of sexual abuse. And when I learned that, I just felt my whole world was spiraling down and out of control. I thought, I was conceived as a result of something that should have never happened. I was born of a crime. I'm a mistake. I shouldn't be here on the earth. And she said, I just wanted to die. I was in such despair. I was in such a low place. And then Carrie told me, but thanks to the presence of God in my life and some very loving people, I found myself on a path of healing. And I found hope. And she is now a student at the Vancouver School of Theology. She is also considered a kind of ambassador for truth and reconciliation for the Lutheran Church of Canada. I sat down with Carrie recently, asked her how we can walk this path of truth and reconciliation that we're seeking to, to, to journey down. We're in the early stages. I want you to hear part of our conversation. What counsel would you give our community as we seek to walk this path of truth and reconciliation? We're in the early stages, but would love to hear what you would have to say to us and how you would challenge us. Well, I would challenge you guys to make sure you really want to do it. 
because it's not it's it's not something a concept that oh bang okay I'll I talk to one person and oh this is all great you know this has been a process you know there's 94 calls in the TRC mm-hmm. right so so there's a lot of calls and a lot of them have been have been um, fulfilled yeah and five or six to the church depending on how you count it I think mm-hmm. exactly right I mean but it's a long process but within the process that's where where people need to get connected again mm-hmm. and to realize because I mean last year was I think an eye-opener to the to Canada of what re- the realistics of what really happened and and the horror and and just the injustice. Because um, there's there never should be graveyards at a at a school. Like uh, that just astonishes yeah, me. Shocking. And what would be some of the work that that we could do and pursue? Well, I think you know, ha- inviting people over, having a conversation mm-hmm. with you know the homeless. You know, go hang out downtown east side. Don't be scared of them. You know, because all they want is love mm-hmm. and be shown respect and f- shown that they're actually human beings and not these just discarded like, oh well, you're a drug addict. Get away from me. We got to look past that. We got to look past the the trauma and the hurt that they are dealing with right now. And it can't be one of these just like quick fix. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a long-term thing. You know, I mean, for me, it was like, you know, like 20 years to deal with all this pain and anger and, 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 and you know, not just break down all of a sudden, you know, because of that. But now it gives me the strength to, to show people that, yes, I was broken, but I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And with the strength of God's love and, and what he's inspired in me gives me that work to go on. You know, I mean, continually right now with my health issues, it's, it's hard. Some days it's really hard. But I can't say no to God. You know, I'm going to go do that service that, he, that I keep getting dreams about, to, mm-hmm. that he sends me dreams to do. You need to do this. Okay, and I, and I, I pray, okay, God, I will... I honor you, whatever you want me to do. Give me the strength for that. And, and then he gave me a, I have a helper now who will help me with that, you know, with the services and stuff like that. And, you know, so I, so I, so I always just, I never worry anymore. You know, it's like, because it's in God's hands. He knows what's going to happen. He, he's the boss. So well, thanks for saying yes to, to God, Carrie, <laughs> and for being an instrument of, of his healing in the world. Thank you for having me, and, and I hope it helps people. So, If you want to see more of that conversation, um, you can go to our website and go to our YouTube channel. Carrie asked the question, where does the strength come from to do what God is calling us to do? And Carrie answered that question in her conversations with me. She said, it comes from the love of God. In an earlier conversation, Carrie mentioned that it had been painful to be separated from her birth family, but she was brought up in a truly loving Christian family here in Metro Vancouver. And she said, as a teenager, I was rebelling. I was really difficult to love. I see that now. But my family loved me without condition. And they mirrored God's grace to me. 
She said, at the lowest point in my life, I felt like I didn't want to go on. I wanted to just die. And as I look back, I see how God carried me through that dark, dark period. And she said, the love of God strengthens me and inspires me to say yes to the boss, to serve. And so it can be for us. Our story may not be as dramatic, but when we recognize and reflect on and rejoice in God's mercy to us, especially as shown in Jesus Christ as he died on the cross for our sins so that they may not be counted against us, so that we might be reconciled to our creator. As we consider the other gifts, the people that God has brought into our life, the opportunities, the things that make life feel sweet, we can find the strength to say yes to whatever it is that God is calling us into. What might it look like to walk this path where we reflect God's love and justice and compassion to others. Well, as Carrie was saying, it might mean really welcoming someone who is different from us. Maybe they're indigenous, maybe they're not. Maybe they're on the downtown east side, maybe they're from a different part of town. Maybe they've gone through some kind of trauma. Maybe they struggle with anxiety or depression but we welcome them and we resist the tendency that many of us have to consciously, or it's probably mostly unconsciously calculate, what can this person do for me? And instead ask God, what are you calling me to do for others? For some of us, it might mean, and I know a lot of you are already involved here, but lining up with a ministry that serves the homeless or vulnerable children or folks that are new to Canada, Some of us, it might mean that we begin to tithe. In Deuteronomy, we read about God calling us to bring the tithes into the storehouse so that the hungry, the fatherless, the widows can be fed. And one of the most tangible and clear ways that we say, God, I want you to use me and I want to honor you is by giving the first fruits of our income. Let me close with a question quotation from E.B. White, the late author of the beloved children's story, Charlotte's Web, and the co-author of the classic book on how to write called Essentials of Style. E.B. White wrote, I arise in the morning torn between a desire to improve the world and a desire to enjoy the world. That makes it difficult to plan the day. Have you ever felt torn between a desire to, on the one hand, serve the world, and on the other hand, a desire to savor the world, to enjoy it? Well, if you know God, you don't have to you know, split those choices. You can both savor the world as you enjoy the good gifts that he has brought into your life. Again, the people, the things that bring you joy the opportunities. And as God's love and light comes into your life, you can then mirror that light and love to others. And as you bring God's love and justice and compassion to others, you reflect the very character of your creator. 
If you will bless those who cannot repay you, God will bless you. Let's pray together. Perhaps you would want to pray in the quietness of your heart. God, make me an instrument of your peace and justice in the world. Use me to reflect your compassion. Show me how to live. Show me what to do. And to use Carrie's expression, help me to say yes, because you're the boss. A very good boss. And as you fulfill your purpose in loving those whom Jesus described as the least of these, know that you are loving Jesus. And so may you see the face of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.